all because of God's amazing grace. Well, after um, Brother Kevin asked me to share with you this week and next week as they're out, I got to praying about, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? What do I need to talk about? And I kept asking God that, and finally this still small voice said, well, what do you know? And I had to think, you know, God's amazing grace. All because of God's amazing grace. Well, late 1949, early 1950, there was a doctor in Houston, Texas, Dr. Alan Bloxham. He was a pediatrician at St. Joseph Hospital in Houston, Texas, Baylor College of Medicine. And uh, he invented and he marketed something called the airlock. It was a forerunner of the neonatal incubator. It was for resuscitation of asphyxiated premature newborns. Dr. Bloxham made his prototype in his garage. He took a pressure cooker and cut it in half. And he, he welded a cylindrical steel piece in between the two ends. He added a unit to it that uh, uh, was a positive pressure unit, and uh, it put infused warm 60% humidified oxygen into that pressure cooker, okay, that stretched pressure cooker. And uh, he took it back to the hospital and tried it out because he had too many babies that were dying. They couldn't breathe. Because they were newborn. They were premature. And it worked. And so he began to market it. And then uh, instead of the steel cylindrical object that you couldn't see in, they came up with what you see on the screen, a plastic version. But it forced air into the premature baby's lungs. So the lungs would expand and develop and the baby would live. Well, fast forward, fast forward to the second quarter of 1950, and there was a philanthropist in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Matilda Gray, that bought one of those units and gave it to St. Patrick's Hospital. Nobody knew anything about it, how to use it, how to regulate it, but they had it. Fast forward to the third quarter of 1950. July the 30th, a young woman is brought into St. Patrick's Hospital to labor and delivery, and uh, she is going to have a baby. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and she's only seven months pregnant. Dr. Edgar Percy was there as the attending physician, and he saw the situation where he knew mama was in a bad way, and so, you know, baby had to be. So he wheeled the young woman into the operating room and did a cesarean section. Mama was doing good after the cesarean section, but baby wasn't. 
Dr. Percy ran down the hall with that baby in his arms, breathing into that baby all the way until he found that unit back in the nursery. He opened it up, put the baby in, closed it, turned it on, and stood over it and prayed. God let it work. It did. That baby was me. Okay? I was born in 2 pounds, 13 ounces. Fit in the doctor's hand. Okay? Fit in the doctor's hand. I lost weight down to 2 pounds, 6 ounces, 7 ounces. And so Dr. Percy thought, well, we need to do something to, you know, put some meat on that boy's bones. And so he came up with a formula, pet milk. I became the pet of the nursery. The, the nurses and the, and, the, and the sisters of the co uh, convent fought over who was going to rock me and feed me. All right? And I put weight on with pet milk. Two weeks after I was born, there was a little girl that was born at St. Patrick's Hospital, was brought into the same nursery, Karen Sue Gist. She looked across the room and said, I've got my cap set for him. And so 19 years later, we met at McNeese State University at the BSU and were married. Right? You say, oh, it's all coincidence. It's all happenstance. It just happened. No. God had a plan. God worked his plan. And it was all because of his amazing grace. Well, grace. God's grace. Charis. We've talked about that word before. The unmerited favor of God. The unearned gift. The favored kindness freely extended to us. The bestowal of blessings on our lives. God's grace. The scripture Brother Jim read talked about the abundance. His fullness. The superabundance. Of his fullness. You see there was one source. One source. Jesus Christ. Superabundance of his grace. There, that means there is more than ample supply. That there is a constant overflowing gift. The scripture he read said. Grace upon grace. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Favor upon favor. And gift heaped upon gift. God wants to do that for us. Jesus talked about that. But God is our heavenly father and he wants to offer. Offer. That to us. That abundant grace. We have to receive that offering from Him. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a song, He Giveth More Grace. 
he giveth more grace. That uh, uh, chorus of that song said, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of the infinite riches in Jesus, that's what that scripture just talked about, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about God's amazing grace. Three aspects I want us to look at. Number one, saving grace. Saving grace. Number two, living grace. And number three, dying grace. Saving grace, living grace, dying grace. So let's look at saving grace. The, uh, the song that we sang right before I came up here, all because of God's amazing grace, that first verse said, Amazing grace, oh how sweet the sound that saved a poor sinner like me. Though once I was lost, yet now I'm found. Though I was blinded, now I see. God's amazing grace, His saving grace, is a gift. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a free gift. See, when we give gifts, we, we want to give them freely, you and I, right? We want the person to receive it because we want to give it. God wants to give us saving grace. In Romans 3, uh, 24, that said that our redemption was a gift of His grace. All because of His amazing grace. I grew up in uh, Lake Charles. Our family went to uh, First Baptist Church there. And like most Baptist churches in that day and time, you know, they had revival services. Could be a week long, could be ten days long. Might go two weeks. And usually during those times, uh, one night would be Sunday school night, you know, where all the Sunday school classes would sit together. And so I sat with my class that night, and since we were elementary kids, they made sure we were close to the front so we could be, you know, taken care of if need be. And uh, so my group was the third row, and I was the third one in. The evangelist was a Hispanic evangelist, a man by the name of Angel Martinez. Angel came out and he was dressed in red. I mean, from top to foot. You know, had a red handkerchief, red shirt, red tie. You know, even had red shoes and socks. And he preached on hell. Well, he rolled back that door and I saw the pits of hell and I was one of the first kiddos down the aisle and I told Dr. Sanderson, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church, I don't want to go there. I want Jesus in my heart. 
And so we knelt and I prayed and I asked Christ in my heart to start a new life then. New spiritual life. Uh, my family and I later on uh, were charter members at University Baptist Church in South Lake Charles. And while there, uh, there was a man that, well, they called him choir directors back then, Brother Donald, uh, Fred Moeller, an insurance man that had uh, some training in, in music. And he was my choir director. And he took me under his wings and uh, helped me along and helped me understand uh, about music. And later on, I was going to uh, surrender my life to the ministry uh, when I was about 12 years old. And so God used Brother Fred to ease me that direction. So now we come to that second grace topic I want to talk about. Living grace. Living grace. The song we sang said, Through disappointment and danger too, through labors and sorrows we've come, but God's grace has guided safely through and will someday lead us home. I came to understand that as growing up, God had good gifts for me. God wanted me uh, to do good. Um, and to do that, I had to, you know, live in this present world. Titus 2, if you've got your Bible, and we'll turn there. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldliness, immoral desires, and live sensible, upright, godly lives, lives with purpose that reflect spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us, to purchase us, uh, and our freedom from all wickedness, to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession, who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. God instilled that in, in my heart and in life that I had to live for him. But more than that, I had to understand that his grace was sufficient. His grace was sufficient. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and verses 8 through 10, Paul explains that he had a problem, didn't he? It was a thorn in the flesh. And he begged God three times, please take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient. God was saying, my grace is more than enough. My grace is always available. And so as a young child and a teenager, I came to understand that. Because you see, when I was placed into that airlock and stayed there for two months of my life, 
and they just really didn't know quite how to regulate it. It caused, later in life, medical problems for me. The optic nerves of my eyes were damaged. The retinas were damaged. And so all of my life, I've had eye problems, vision problems. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, playing Little League ball one day, I lost my sight. I got it back real quick, but it was gone, and then it was there. And so we went to the eye doctor, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything for you. Your retinas are coming detached. And so he sent us to Houston to the medical center there where God provided knowledgeable and skilled doctors, nurses, medical staff, and the latest technology that for some 30 years I went over there time after time after time after time and was tended to and underwent every new procedure that was available to save my eyesight. Today, I see because of God's amazing grace. He skilled those doctors. He gave them the knowledge, but he also gave them the wisdom and how to use the knowledge and skills that he gave them. Would you believe uh, I, I still have eye problems. I still go over to Houston. I uh, still go to Baylor College of Medicine and uh, see those folks over there. We're undergoing some things right now that uh, they're looking at. But the doctor that initially did the surgery on me when I was 12 years old is still practicing medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, still teaching, still doing, involved in research on macular degeneration. She is in her late 90s. God has blessed her immensely. Because over there, with all of the problems that I had, Every time she would walk into the room, she would say, we've done what we can. It's up to God. I've done what I can, but you know, there's this new procedure. Would you like us to try it? And so I've made a lot of medical history over the years in Houston. There's probably a file on me a foot thick because every time she would come in and she would say that, you know, I would kind of look at her and say, well, Doc, what choice do I have? Either I'm going to be blind or I take the risk. I still may be blind, but you know what? I trust you and I trust how God's going to use you. And so time after time, we would do that. God's provision, God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace for 
you know, on the marriage and, and, and children. Uh, yes, Karen and I met at McNeese, and we dated, and we fell in love, and we got married, and we started having children with both of us in college. And I was working two jobs, and we weren't making ends meet all the time. But somehow, we were able to survive. And the reason being, it was God's amazing grace. We would come to the end of a month, month and, and we, we had some bills to pay. All right? Didn't have any money. A check would show up in the mail. Somebody at church would hand us some money. God's provision. Karen would go to the cupboard and look in. Well, it's bare. You know, the refrigerator's got very little in there. What are we going to do? There's a knock on the door. Here's a dear Baptist lady with a casserole. You know how Baptist ladies like to cook casserole. All right. So God's provision. Somebody would hand us a gift card and say, you know, go to the grocery store. Get you some groceries for the month. We, we had one time at, at, a, at another church. My old car was just gone. The engine was shot. I needed something to drive. Man walks into the office at church and says, uh, here you go. Give me your old keys. This is your new car. God's provision. Time and time and time again. God's provision in ministry. 52 years we've been doing ministry. God called. God directed. God provided. Always, I'm not going to say lucky, it's, it's, it's God's grace that was involved in all this. Been able to work with pastor and staff that we pretty much got along. We pretty much had the same mindset and direction. Only God can do that. Let me share just some other examples. And you, you think about how God has blessed you over the years that you've been alive. Before Karen and I got married, I mean just before, her mother was washed cow cam with a terrible headache. Doctors here could not figure out what was going on because they did not have the technology. They said, we're going to send you to Beaumont. They've got these new scans and stuff. They can check out your brain. Got over there and found out that she had a huge aneurysm in her brain. The doctor there said, we can't operate, but we're going to send you, guess where? Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. We got over there, and the doctor said, we have got to hurry and do this operation. Got her to the operating room, started the operation, and the aneurysm burst. 
on the operating table. But the doctors were able to save her life. Coincidence? No. No. My mother-in-law was in a coma for months. Doctors there finally told my father-in-law, take her home, take her to Calcium, let the doctors there work with her, let the physical therapist work with her. And uh, she had a physical therapist that really worked with her because she said, you know, one day this lady's going to come out of this coma and she's going to be able to walk. She's going to be able to function. We're going to do all this therapy for her. The doctors finally told my father-in-law, oh, I'm sorry, time's up at the hospital and the rehab. You're going to have to put her in a care facility. He said, oh, no, I won't have to. She's going to be home by Christmas. And this was June of that year. Thanksgiving, my mother-in-law woke up and she was home for Christmas. That's faith. But that's God's amazing grace. God gave us three wonderful children. A couple of them we found out uh, as they grew up had diseases. The oldest boy, uh, after he got away from us and graduated from college, found out he had had uh, stomach issues all of his life, but came to come to find out he had Crohn's disease. And it was pretty far gone. And they had to do some surgeries on him. But he was in Dallas, Texas. And they were doing research at Baylor University Hospital. And so he was entered into some of those trials and uh, got in with research. And today, he is doing extremely well on the medications and uh, the treatments that the doctors are doing. Our daughter, when she was just three years old, uh, we were told she had rheumatoid arthritis. And it was a bleak, bleak, bleak outlook for her for the rest of her life. At that time, we were serving at a church in Columbus, Texas. And uh, again, we're that close to medical technology. And again, Baylor, medical technology. Research, grants, therapy, all paid for because of God's amazing grace. By the time she was in her teens, the doctor said, I don't understand it. We see no signs. She's going to live out her life without any problems. God's amazing grace. All of my eye surgeries, and now, right after that, hip surgeries, total hip replacements, six of them. God brought us through 
the last couple were interesting because it's, uh, it's bad when you get a letter in the mail and says, Dear Sir, we have every indication that uh, you have gotten some bad parts. They're being recalled. We will gladly replace them at no charge to you. And so the last two hip replacements were done at Texas Orthopedic Hospital. Well, the last four, really, were done over there. But God's amazing grace. We've had faithful church members throughout our ministry that have supported us and helped us. Uh, I, I, I recall one unpretentious man at a church in Texas. I didn't know who he was. He didn't care if I knew who he was. But he was always there. He was always supportive. He took my family under his wing. And I found out later that that man had a lot of money. He owned Hurricane Fence Company. But he was always at the church saying, what can I do for the church? Brother Mike, how can I help? What can I do? You're fixing to uh, take off on this mission trip with uh, all of our young people and some of our adults. Let me underwrite the whole trip. God has blessed Olivet Baptist Church with people that give. Today, we have faithful people that give every week, every month. And then when there are special occasions or special needs, they give, they give, they give. Thank you for being uh, so faithful. God has uh, uh, given me a healthy wife. Thank goodness. Because with all of the children and the daddy being in the shape they're in, she has been able to care for us and manage the household, you know, and so, as I shared some of these examples, maybe you thought about sometimes in your life how God has blessed, God has given, God has directed, God has shown favor. You see, God has promised us that are His, that have had that saving grace applied, who are living in this world, that we could have abundant life. Abundant life. That's promised to us in 1 John chapter 10 and verse 10. John said that Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Saving grace, living grace. Now let's talk about that third, dying grace. Now I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I've not experienced that. I'm not sure that I want to at this point. I kind of like still living in living grace. But that, uh, that last stanza of that song that we sang said, Then with the ransomed around God's throne, we'll... Praise our Redeemer and King. We'll tell how His mercy for sin did atone through countless ages. This song we'll sing. 
God does give dying grace. The psalmist in uh, Psalm 23 and verse 4 said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No fear in dying. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8, Paul told Timothy, I'm ready. My time has come. I've fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And so God has laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness. Paul also in 1 Corinthians told the church, you know, we don't need to worry about death. He said, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? It's not there because God gives dying grace. Dwight L. Moody, evangelist from long ago, when he was dying, looked at those around him and said, is this dying? This is bliss. There's no valley. I've been within the gates. Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. I must go. What a way to end life. We can do that. We can do that because of God's amazing grace. So today, how do we respond to God's amazing grace? Grace has been given. For God so loved the world that he gave. Grace has been offered. So we need to do something with that grace. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to have the application of saving grace. You can do that today. We're going to give an invitation in just a minute. And when we stand, we'll, you can come forward and we'll share. Maybe you need a little bit more of living grace. We're in hard times, aren't we? And this COVID thing has knocked everybody for a loop. And people are discouraged, distraught. God's got amazing grace for this time. He's going to lead us through it. He's going to lead you through it. He's got a purpose and a mission for you in this time. Seek out His amazing grace. Be a blessing to others around you. But God also has a way of uh, letting us look into the future a little bit and really anticipate that guy in grace, doesn't he? I found that as, as, as I've gotten older, my focus has changed a little bit. Yes, I love the living grace part, but you know what? I'm starting to get a little more wondering about that dying grace because there's heaven over here, kind of like Dwight L. Moody. Oh, that's going to be glorious. And so he prepares us for that. So Brother Donald's going to come.
And uh, we're going to sing a, an invitation hymn. I need thee every hour. Okay, yeah, we need God's amazing grace every hour, every day. If you have a decision you need to make or you just need to come down here and thank God for His amazing grace in your life, you come do it. Brother Donald, you come and let's stand and sing with Him.